You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. My name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here at Grace. So, yeah, it's not too late to jump in on that, uh, on that lunch, right? So that's cool. Um, I'm sure if you don't have a smartphone or can't do the QR code, I'm sure you can speak to these guys afterwards. Anyone with a fam shirt? Steven's got one on too back there. I didn't know you guys had shirts made up. Do you get a shirt if you go to the meeting? Oh, after you adopt a child. Once you adopt a child, you get a shirt. But they're white. One reason I don't wear white shirts, one word, spaghetti. So it's the only, but I like white shirts. It's just, I get to wear them once and then that's it. So those are really nice shirts though. I like them. Well, welcome to Grace. My name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm grateful to get to preach this morning. So our lead pastor, Brad Talley, he's out of the country on purpose, but he will be back this week. So he plans to come back Friday, plans to be back in the pulpit on Sunday morning. So therefore, we're going to be looking this morning at what I would say is probably, I would say now, may change over time. I would say this in the last couple of years, that my favorite chapter of the Bible would be Romans chapter 8. Uh, So we're going to spend time this morning in Romans chapter 8. Tristan must have read the text leading up to the service this week, which I don't doubt that. That's normally what David does, what Tristan does, because all of the songs just lead us perfectly into this text. Even his prayer kind of primes our heart and I think our our spirit to be prepared to, to hear the word of the Lord this morning and the wonderful truth that comes to us from Romans chapter 8. So our prayer focus, fam ministry, as you have heard, a lunch after second service. So I was tasked today to preach a sermon that would coincide with the beginning of this new ministry of ours here at Grace, of which I love the logo. That is really neat. I could look at that for a while and enjoy the, the, the connections and such. So really, uh, Scott Shambly puts his talents to use for the kingdom um, in our church with, with logos and such. So what a great, what a great logo. But when it comes to adoption, I can think of no better text than Romans chapter 8. So that's what we're going to be in this morning, Romans chapter 8. And I believe that adoption, that fostering, that these are near and dear to our Heavenly Father's heart. I think so because of his very adoption of us as sons and daughters, the spiritual adoption that he provides for us. When you adopt a child, a lot's happening there. First of all, we know that they get your name. When, they, when, they, when you adopt a child, they, 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 they get your name. Sorry, I stutter. I had to take speech classes in third grade, and I have to go back to it sometimes and remember to get the stutter out of me, so forgive me. But they get more than just your name. They get your past. They get your future. You see, they get all that goes with your name as well. They, they, they get your reputation whenever you adopt someone. They integrate into your family. They uh, take on your routines. They take on your preferences. Maybe, maybe they were a Jeff family before. Maybe they're a Peter Pan family now. Uh, some people are, what is it, crispy or crunchy? What's that other one that people like? What's it called, Lee? Yeah, crunchy. Skippy, that's what I'm looking for. I don't know, but there are people out there who prefer Skippy over Jeff. But they take on your preferences as well whenever you adopt a child. They take on, again, as I mentioned, the routines. They take on everything, your home, even your laundry detergent, your smells and ways. They become part of you. And the deal is you also become theirs. The flip side of this is that when someone is being adopted, they also let go of their old ways. 
They let go of some old habits and some old routines. They let go of their old name because now they have a new name. They cut off the ways of their old family and now they have to learn ways of a new family. They have to adapt to these new family ways. They now receive new tradition. They become like you. There's a lot that happens in adoption. And I want to take some time this morning to talk to us all about what happens whenever you become spiritually adopted by God, when you become a son and daughter of God. And I want you to know that a lot of the material I'm using this morning actually comes from a book called Supernatural Living for Natural People. Or I was really inspired by reading this book years ago. I love this book. It's by a guy named Ray Ortland, and I uh, devour everything that he, he writes and, and rec- recommends. Uh, you know, you have people who just resonate with your, with your, with your heart, and his, his preaching and writing does so for me. But this is a book written on Romans chapter 8 that just lifted me up years ago and that I still draw on from time and time again. It's an incredible book on Romans chapter 8. So if you're wanting to spend some time just soaking in this chapter, there's a resource for you. But in talking about your adoption this morning, the question I must first ask that we all must first ask ourselves is this, are you adopted? Have you been spiritually adopted is what I'm asking. Because I know that in a room this size, not everyone here is a child of God. I wish that weren't so, but it's highly unlikely that everyone here calls God Father because not everyone does call God Father. The Bible doesn't teach that all are children of God. The Bible doesn't teach that everyone calls God Father. So, do you call God Father? Are you an adopted child of God? Because when you become an adopted child of God, you have a new family now, and you also have new ways now. You begin to take on new routines. You begin to have a new purpose. Some of you have experienced this. I pray that all of you have experienced this. You start realizing, man, I am becoming a new person because you also receive a new spirit. You become a new you. When you are spiritually adopted, you are given the power of the Holy Spirit and you change from who you once were and you're becoming who you one day will be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, do you get a lot when you become an adopted child of God. And today our text, Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 12 through 18, though I could just waller around in all of chapter 8, I think, for the rest of my life. Not the, I don't need to give you the, the mental image of me wallering around, but spiritually, I took away from that. It just came out. A wonderful text, Romans chapter 8, but we're going to just focus in on verses 12 through 18. So I'm going to ask, as is our custom, if you'll stand with me and hear the reading of the word of God, it'll be on the screen for you as well. Hear the word of the Lord, Romans 8, beginning with verse 12. Paul says, so then, brothers, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is is to be revealed to us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may may be seated. So Paul here, he's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to Christians. And in, Ro- in, in Romans chapter 7, if you read Romans chapter 7, you'll see that the children of God, news alert, they still struggle with sin. We're not surprised by that, are we? I'm sure not. Still surprised with sin because sin still lives inside of us. And then Paul lays out in the first 11 verses of chapter 8 the resources that children of God have for living a spirit-energized life. As a child of God, when you're adopted and you come to his family, you'll see that your closet is stocked full of all that you're ever going to need. And as his child, he is with you. So how do we now, as adopted children of God, live in this new state that we, we have the spirit of God in us now, We know that we're no longer supposed to be this, but yet we're not yet this. So how do we live in this tension of this struggle of sin that's inside of us right now? What does this look like for an adopted child of God? Paul's going to tell us today in our text. So let's look again at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I want you to think whenever I read the word flesh, when you read flesh up here in this verse, this passage, the flesh is talking about the expression of your sin nature, living in the flesh. This living according to the flesh is living according to our sinful desires, the old ways we used to live, the old ways we used to give into, the old things we used to crave, this, these sinful cravings that were at the front in our lives. But as an adopted child of God, we have new ways. Where do we now get our satisfaction? What now are our cravings? Many claim to be an adopted child of God, but the truth is they live as though they're still calling the shots. They live as though they still have their own agenda. They live as though they are still at the center of their own worlds. They're still living in the old ways. So then we, we, we almost ask, who are we living for? Are we living as if our life is indebted to the flesh or to the spirit? Ask another way, as an adopted child of God, who are you serving? Are you serving your sinful desires, your cravings that used to just rule you? Or are you serving your new master? Old master yourself, or are you serving your new master? Who is God? If you're with Paul, then you're going to say, and I say this morning, no, I don't owe the flesh anything. I'm tired of living indebted to the flesh. I'm tired of being controlled and steered by my sinful desires. That may seem like it's what I want, but it always leaves me in bondage and enslaved. No, I owe the flesh nothing, no more. We can say with Paul, there's a new sheriff in town now. For those who are adopted children of God, there is a new sheriff in town who's teaching us new ways of living, who's showing us to put to death the old things that controlled us. And now there's freedom to be had. As an adopted child of God, we no longer live for ourselves. Adopted children of God, they no longer live for themselves. 
Just this past week, I started reading um, The Lord of the Rings. I've I've never read The Lord of the Rings. I watched the movies, but as I've mentioned to you all before, I have a gift of forgetting movies immediately. So I have no idea what's going to happen, even though I've watched the movies a few times. It's like the first time I've ever read it, and apparently there's a ring. So in the first chapter, I was reading even this week about Bilbo reading to my children how he is to leave the ring behind on the mantle. He's leaving it behind for Frodo. And even in leaving the ring behind, you start to see the power that it's had on Bilbo. He's had this ring for so long, it's hard for him to leave behind. He gets, he gets angry, even at Gandalf. He gets unfairly angry at him whenever he's to leave the ring behind. Man, the ring, like our sin. Gosh, if we could, if we could just truly see what it does to us and the power that it has over us and who it really makes us, if we can see the way our sin affects those who we love the most, then I have no doubt that we'll be eager to rid ourselves of its power and say, we are indebted to the flesh no more. No more am I living to satisfy my sinful cravings. But we must ask, do you find yourself asking God, do you find yourself asking how far you can live away from him before it's too far? I don't know if some of us are honest enough with ourselves, but I want you to be this morning. Do you find yourself assuming that question and asking that question? Finding ways to justify your decisions that you know aren't reflective of God's children. Man, if so, these questions, if we're asking these questions, if we're living asking these questions, then they reveal to us the struggle we might still have with sin. The the flesh that's still inside of us It reveals to us the tension that we still have toward God, the hostility that exists, the sin that's inside of us. It's time to leave it behind. Bilbo, leave the ring on the fireplace. It's time for us to leave the sin because our sin, it lies to us. Our flesh, it'll it'll lie to you. It'll try to control you. It'll make you do things you don't want to do. It'll make you be who you know you no longer are. Our flesh, it keeps us at the center It keeps us at the center of our lives, but that's our old way. That's not our new way because adopted children of God, we now live a life of surrender. That's the word that comes to my mind all the time of what is it like to live? I was even sharing with the youth group, I think this week, to live a life for the Lord, man, a a life of surrender. (laughs) Not my ways, not my will, his ways, his will. It's like we carry a white flag in our back pocket and we just wave it throughout the day. Just this surrender from my ways over to God's ways. I don't want you to hear me. We, we all have weak moments, and I, I, I want to acknowledge that. Remember, even Paul acknowledges there's still this struggle with sin that's happening inside of us. So my hope is to not beat you down. My hope is to ultimately lift you up, to lift your eyes up to the inheritance that is to come, which we will be talking about. We all have weak moments, but are you becoming more like your new family? Over time, are you no longer who you once were? Yet we know you're not who you will one day be. But are you learning the new ways of your family? Because remember, an adopted child of God begins to act and to look like the family they now belong to. If you're a child of God, I want you to hear this before we've we go any farther. As I mentioned, the Lord adopts you, brings you in, and you find your closet is stocked full. I want you to know that God does ask of you. But I also want you to know that all that God asks of you, all that he requires of you, he provides for you. 
he has done for you in Jesus, which is yours through faith. What do I mean by that? We have to open up our clenched fist of our selfishness and our cravings and our desires. We have to open them up so that our hands can then receive faith and salvation, sanctification, which has worked in us through the Holy Spirit. We must first let go of our old life. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Seems clear here. There's one or two ways. We all come to this crossroads. There's one of two ways. And adopted children of God, we have to do battle. There's, there's no way around it. Paul gives two categories here. He says, you're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian. You're a non-Christian, you're giving into your selfish desires, and you're dying. Or you are a Christian, you're surrendering, you're cutting off your sin, and you are living. Adopted children of God, they cut off their sin, and they let them die. Adopted children of God cut off their sins and let them die. I once read of a man named Donald Wyman, and he was out in Pennsylvania. Have you heard of this guy, Ryland? I saw Ryland out here somewhere, I thought, our Pennsylvania people. He was out in Pennsylvania, and he was cutting some timber deep in a forest. And tragically, this, this tree had fallen on him, and it pinned his leg. And after sitting there and just screaming for an hour and knowing that there's no way he's ever going to be found, he finally took a, a leather strap from his boot lace. He tied it around his leg just below his knee, about six inches below his knee, took out his pocket knife, and he cut his leg off. And then he crawled like a mile or so to his truck where he then drove for help. And he lived to tell the tale. My word, I don't know if I could do that. But in a way, we all have to make the same decision spiritually. If you have to choose between two legs and die, or if you can have one leg and live, I mean, really, is there a decision to even be made? We want to live. The choice is ours. But somehow we think a lot of times when it comes to our life that we can, well, that we can somehow keep our sins and yet still live. No, Jesus says it's better. He says it's better for you to either enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and thrown into hell. We can't keep our sins that lead to death and yet somehow think we still will live. God's calling us to a new life. For those who are adopted children of God, saying, Cut off the old ways and throw yourself fully into a new life in the Spirit. And how do you do that? How do you slingshot into a new life of the Spirit? You cut off what's been holding you down and behind. Your sin. We take it seriously. What would happen if we took our sin seriously? Romans 8.13, God is calling you through the word of God to cut off the sin that has enslaved you. It's calling you to let it die. If you're an adopted child of God, I want you to know that you have a new life now. And you have been adopted. So let me ask you, what in your life right now 
Think, what in your life needs to die? Cut it off. Cut it off. If you're weary from trying to hide this sin, I have good news for you. You won't have to hide it once it dies. You can, you can move on. You can be free by the miracle of the Holy Spirit that's working inside of you who will enable you to do so. I want you to hear me that Christians, we, we, do, we do have initiative, uh, but I also want you to remember that you're not on your own. Again, the closet's stocked. He's given us all we need. Our incentive is the promise of life. And our way to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit who works within us. I want you to know the answer to cutting off your sin isn't legalism. No. Paul, he does say, if, then. All right, so there is a bit of a, a formula, if, this, then, this. But don't miss, he says, if, by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's the one who does the work inside of us. It's not mustering up enough power. It's not getting angry enough. It's not getting fed up enough. That's all part of the process. But ultimately, we have to lay down. We have to open our hands, and we have to give control to the Holy Spirit, who then will make us sin-killing people. That's the only way we change from being sin-tolerating people, sin-covering-up people, sin-justifying people, into sin-killing people. That is through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're tired enough, fed up enough, and ready to be who you know you are, an adopted child of God. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I want you to think for a moment. I, I want you to, to answer the question in your mind, how do you know that you are a child of God? Now, in some ways, this is an easy answer, but in some ways, this is a, this is a hard question to answer. Because we must be careful that our answer is just not our faith is in our faith. We, we shouldn't just put our faith in our faith, although that is part of the answer. Yes, our faith in Jesus. But verse 14, it tells us that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Adopted children of God are led by the Spirit. Adopted children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Now, of course, here, Sons, we know that this implication is for women as well, sons and daughters of God. So I'm going to say children. But Paul begins this sentence in verse 14 with four. He begins four because he's continuing the thought he had from verse 13. Verse 13, which tells us how children of God put to death the deeds of the body. And that is what people do who are led by the Spirit. Children of God are led by the Spirit of God. How can we know they're led by the Spirit of God? Because they have cut off their sins and they have let them die. Why do they cut off their sins and let them die? Because they no longer live for themselves. Paul's just building this argument here. This is how children of God live once they're adopted. Mortifying our sins in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. What that does is that gives us forward momentum. That cuts us loose. It slingshots us forward. And we're changed. The Christian life isn't one of just never changing. It's one of never growing. It's not one of never growing. It's, the Christian life is not one of never maturing. No. Those who are children of God have the Holy Spirit working in them. And there's this forward momentum where he's changing them. He's changing them from the inside out. Children of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they want to change. 
because they know they need to change. And they begin to change. And then people start to see the change. There's this forward momentum for those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. We know they're led by the Spirit of God because they've cut off their sins and let them die. And they do so because they no longer live for themselves. Are you a child of God? Is your movement toward God broken down? Or do you have forward momentum happening for you? I have a category for maybe it's broken down for a time. I know it is for me. And I have to revisit this and I have to remind myself who I am. I have to pull out my white flag and I have to surrender again or your pocket knife, however you want to look at it. Is there a sin that has you bogged down in here this morning? If so, there's probably a sin that you're not wanting to let go. For some of us, there might even be a sin that we've held on to for so long in our life. We feel like we need it. Ray Ortland in that book, he says, your sin is a devil-shaped remedy that you're trying to force onto a God-shaped need. That might be the case. Only God can satisfy you, so trust him. Pull out that flag. Pull out that pocket knife. It's time to live as an adopted child of God. But you also may say, Ricky, I wonder how I can have more desire for God because I I want more desire for God. I mean, I, I want it, but I'm not quite feeling it. Maybe you're scared and you're wondering, how can you have this more desire for God and for change through the power of the Holy Spirit? How can you want God more than you want your sin? How can you hate your old ways more than you love who you will one day be? How can this happen? And cry out to God. Cry out to God and ask him to do it. I love that. My kids come to me and ask me to fix anything, whether I have a shot to fix it or not. Usually not. That doesn't stop them from asking. But when it comes to children of God, asking their heavenly father, don't let anything keep you from asking. If you know you're not who you one day will be and you're stuck, then ask God to give you the desire to be more like him and to change you. And I would dare say, if you lift up such a prayer to God, then I would say that that prayer is already being answered in that very same prayer you're lifting up to him. Cry out to him. He desires to change you. Cry out to Jesus. He will meet you where you are with the power of the Holy Spirit and cut off that sin by the power of the Holy Spirit so that he will then lead you to the new way of life ultimately to your inheritance. We can have assurance that we're children of God because we are led by the spirit of God. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When I worked at a camp years ago, there was this school that came up from the Charlotte area And they came up, and I kind of heard about the reputation of this head of school, they called him. His name was was Mr. Horton. And his reputation kind of preceded himself. I had heard about how he runs a tight ship and how he means business. And I'll be honest, camp's kind of a loose, fun thing. I I was a little worried about how Mr. Horton's going to do with being at camp. But then I got to meet Mr. Horton when he came up one time without the school. 
And when he came up without the school, he brought his wife and he brought all his girls. But what I learned that this man, Mr. Horton, who was feared at the academy, was loved and respected by his wife and his daughters. He had all these daughters because he, he and his wife had decided they were going to adopt as many girls as they can from overseas who had broken hearts. There were girls who would die because their hearts were broken. And they would adopt these girls and they would adopt and adopt and pay for surgery after surgery for these girls to have heart transplants so that they could live. This man who was feared by many in the halls of the academy who were up to no good, he also brought great comfort to these girls and even provided for their salvation, for their life, not their spiritual salvation, but for their life on earth. Man, he loved them and they loved him. So the man's presence who brought dread to many, brought comfort and love to these girls. And I heard them call him daddy. Man, that changed my perspective of Mr. Horton. Through Christ, now we enter a new relationship with God. Many of you have been living life fearing God. You don't have to fear him if you're a child of God. We can have assurance that we are children of God because we do not dread but delight in the Father. No longer are we fearing his presence, but we delight in his presence. Some of you, maybe even here this morning, may fear the presence of God. Maybe you have a fear that you're no longer measuring up. Man, children of God don't have to fear God. I know my kids... They don't call me Mr. Lee. I wouldn't have it any other way. Don't call me Mr. Lee. They call me daddy or dad. And there's no way that I would not respond whenever they call my name dad or daddy. It's the sweetest thing to my ears. For the children of God, as I was mentioning a minute ago, don't think for a moment that he won't hear you or he won't answer you. Some of you, though, I know in this room may have never felt the loving embrace of a father on this side of eternity, but I want you to know that you can feel the loving embrace of a heavenly father beginning now and for all of eternity. And you will no longer dread his presence, but you will delight in him if you call him father, if you're an adopted child of God. Let's look at verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, Verse 14 is telling us that we can have assurance of our adoption as children of God because we're being led by the Spirit. And then verse 15 tells us, well, we can have assurance because we no longer dread God's presence, but now we delight in God's presence. Our, our perspective and attitude toward God has shifted. It's changed. And verse 16 is deep, but it is true, and it is a comfort, a mysterious comfort to the children of God, and that is that God touches his children and they are comforted deep in their souls. And all of this leads up to adopted children of God. Man, they are able to rest in their heavenly father. Tim Keller, he speaks of this as being like a, a testifying at a, at a court. This, this in verse, this bearing witness of, he speaks of it as being in a court. And he paints this scene of a courtroom where you're on the stand, you're the defendant, and you're, you're saying you weren't at the scene of a crime. And you even have some evidence, but you know it's not going to be enough. And you fear what's coming. But then at that moment, the courtroom doors swing open. And then in comes someone. They take the witness stand. And they too give testimony that you were not at the scene of the crime. You now 
know that someone else affirms your testimony, what you knew to be true. Now there is further evidence that points toward that, justifying that, yes, you are valid. Your witness, your testimony is valid. I want you to know there is witness, there is testimony to prove that you are a child of God, that you're an adopted child of God. As Paul has laid out, this is how adopted children of God live. They can be assured of their sonship. They can be assured that they're daughters of God because they're led by the Spirit. And they're led by the Spirit because they're, they delight in the Father. And they're able to delight in the Father because, well, they've cut off their sins and they've let them die because they're no longer living for themselves. You can be comforted by the love of God deep in your soul by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's comforting you that you're a child of God. He knows your depths. He knows your fears. He knows your struggles. And he is with you. Our last two verses, 17 and 18. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I hope this morning that I've made it clear that I'm not telling you to leave here being a better Christian. That's not what you need to hear. I mean, we all know we need to be better Christians. (laughs) I know that I need to be a better Christian. I don't need to tell you that. But what I want you to leave here knowing is that as adopted children of God, that you can be encouraged, that you can be strengthened, that you can have the knowledge of there's an inheritance that is yours that is to come. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to be carried on by the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. I want you to let go of your ways, and I want you to experience freedom. I don't want you to leave here with your heads down. I don't want you to leave here disappointed in yourself. I don't want you to be in despair. I don't want you to live in despair based on the world that's around you, that people are dying, that the world's changing, and that things are bad. I don't want you to live a life of despair. If so, then maybe our eyes are down where they shouldn't be, and our eyes aren't focused far enough ahead of what is to come, and that is for the children of God. There's inheritance that is to come. Cheer up. (laughs) Don't be so hard on yourself and others. C.S. Lewis says, as you've heard before, I'm sure, mere Christianity, he says, I find in myself a desire which no experience of this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Yeah. This life is not to satisfy us. This life is not all there is. If so, you're gonna live a life of despair. This life, though, is to arouse in us a lasting joy of what is to come. It gives us a glimpse of what we wish was not, we know one day will be, and we can fix our eyes on that. Of who we are not, we know we one day will be and are becoming. We can fix our eyes on that. According to verse 16, if you read this, you are children of God. And for those who are sons and daughters of God, then you are heirs of God with Christ. Talk about an inheritance. For those who are in Christ, he's our elder brother. We get to share in the inheritance that he receives. 
I want you to hear that. You're not left with, you're not left with, with appliances and old clothes and worn out shoes. No, you, as an elder brother with Christ, you receive an inheritance with him. And what is that inheritance? God, an heir of God. We will finally and completely unhindered be with God. No more tears, no more pain, no more struggle, no more disappointment, no more longing. Those who are children of God, adopted children of God, man, they cut off the world, let it go because our eyes are fixed ahead. Nothing's holding us back. We will inherit God. But right now, until then, there's this war that's inside of us. Paul acknowledges, man, we're warring over these desires that's inside of us. We want them to be for God. We know we're heirs of God. And Paul's saying, I want you to know one day you will not fight that war anymore. Until then, you keep cutting. You keep, you keep waving. One day you won't look for what makes you happy anymore. One day you'll no longer be disappointed in yourself anymore. Neither will anyone else be. Because you will have the Lord. He will be our portion and it will be forever. And we will not be disappointed. God's children have the promise of inheritance in their suffering. Adopted children of God have the promise of inheritance in their suffering. And as I've mentioned, the inheritance, we don't receive it all just yet. We get to share in some of it now. We get to share in the inheritance of suffering right now. It's kind of the already, but the not yet. We receive some of it, but not all of it. But I want you to know that the all of it is worth waiting for. Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Before we receive our full inheritance of God, we must first die. Unless we're all still alive when the Lord returns and we get to meet him in the air, wouldn't that be cool? Unless that's the case, one out of one, we will all die. We will. Doesn't matter how funny, how smart, how resourceful, doesn't matter how charming you are, all of us will die and we will be stripped of everything that we have earned. We can't take our merits with us. We came from dust and to dust we will return. So what does that leave us with? For many, nothing. But for those who are adopted children of God, what are we left with when we are stripped down to nothing? God's promises. Whenever we breathe our last breath on this side of eternity, for the Christian, the promises are still kicked in for all of eternity. And God possesses all things, and we will inherit God, therefore we will inherit all things. Man, that's worth suffering for for now. Man, our suffering doesn't bring us glory right now, but our suffering, what it does, the inheritance of suffering we have prepares us for the glory that is to come. It's not like you must suffer so that you may inherit because it's not even a trade worth considering. It's not even near being a fair trade. No, it doesn't matter the size of suffering. It can't compare with the amount of glory that is to come to the children of God, the floodgates of blessing he's going to open up on his children when we are with him one day. 
Man, God plans so much more than to just keep us out of hell. And for many, they want to be a child of God just so they don't go to hell. If that's the only reason you don't want to be a child of God, then man, lift up your eyes. You're not looking far enough into what God has for you. God plans to glorify you. He plans to treat you as you are his adopted child. Paul doesn't want us to just accept the suffering that is to come as God's children, but he wants us to to see that it's actually worth it. It's worth it. So when you're drawing your final breath on this side of eternity, whether you know it or not, the child of God's life was just beginning. It's just beginning and will last for all of eternity. We have so much to live for, even as our breaths on this side of eternity draw to an end. We still have so much more to live for, and we are just beginning to live. But until we're with the Lord, the cross comes before the crown for his children. Man, it's so worth it, though. You got to endure some cutting. You got to wave some flags. You got to make some changes. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we put to death our sin because he's worth it. We know that we're his because his spirit leads us. We delight in God. We're comforted in the depths of our soul. So let us live for God, declaring that we are sons and daughters of God. Let's live longing for his glory that one day he will completely reveal to us. And I want you to know that it will be, and even is so now, worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us, for making us children of God. Father, for any who have yet to surrender their life to you, Father, I pray that they will do so. Lord, that they will find eternal life provided for them, for those who will believe. And Lord, for those of us who are children of God, Father, help our eyes be fixed on you, on the eternity that is to come, the inheritance that is to come. Father, thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for keeping us. Lord, let nothing stand between us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.